You've heard the good and bad about the future of copywriting and content writing. Stuff like AI is going to take all of our jobs or conversely, it's the greatest opportunity ever to come along, at least for those copywriters ready to take advantage of the new technology. And then there's the economy, which for many has felt like a recession in spite of some positive, broader economic markers. Regardless, the ups and downs of the business cycle means that there's a recession coming sometime in the future, whether that's next year or five years from now. And then again, some copywriters have been doing great for the last year or two. So how are you planning for all of this stuff? What are you doing to add new skills? And should you get a part-time job to hold you over while you figure this all out? Or are things going so well that you should be expanding your business? Hi, I'm Rob Marsh, one of the founders of the Copywriter Club. And on today's episode of the Copywriter Club podcast, my co-founder, Kira Hug and I interviewed financial copywriter, Sean McIntyre. We covered a lot of ground in this episode. We talked about AI and why it may not be the risk that some people say it is and what's really happening as these technologies develop or possibly devolve. We talked about how to protect yourself from a recession and the themes your copy should address to connect with readers in stressful economic times. We talked about having ideas about how to read a promotion so that you learn from it and become a better copywriter and a whole lot more. You're definitely going to want to stick around for this episode. But first, this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast is brought to you by the Copywriter Underground. It is truly the best membership for copywriters and content writers. There's a reason that I keep mentioning it every single week over and over because there's just so much stuff that you get when you are a member of the Copywriter Underground. First, there's the monthly group coaching call with Kira and me where you get all the answers to your questions or advice about uh, business struggles or client struggles or writing challenges. There's weekly copy critiques where you get feedback on your copy and content. There's regular training sessions on different copy techniques. We posted one or shared one just this month all about how you store uh, your research ideas so that they don't get lost and they're ready when you sit down to write your copy. There's an AI tool review each month where we share a new idea or a new tool or technique or prompt that will help you get more done with artificial intelligence. That's on top of a massive library of training and templates, including legal document. The community is full of copywriters ready to help you with just about anything. And sometimes they even share leads from time to time. You can get all of this or find out more about it at thecopywriterclub.com forward slash TCU. Okay, with that, let's get to our interview with Sean. All right, Sean, let's kick off with your story. How did you end up as a copywriter? Oh, uh, well, I've been writing for money since about 2001. Um, Thanks, Mom. And so, (laughs) yeah, I uh, did that to sort of fund uh, my lifestyle at the time. Uh, Spent a few years homeless, and so I was actually going to school and writing and working a few jobs on the side there. Um, Did that, uh, got one master's degree, then got another master's degree, ended up, you know, teaching for about seven years in there somewhere. Then around 2015, um, while I was actually uh, ghostwriting books for business professors, I got a job at a little place called Palm Beach Research Group, uh, which is now called Legacy Research Group. Uh, in the Agora and MarketWise family of companies. And uh, I got hired as a proofreader. And within three months, I was promoted to an assistant managing editor. Three months after that, I was promoted to a managing editor and actually bylining reports. And then a few months after that, Mark Ford asked me to basically be the head of the division, uh, like his division of the company. And that's how I met Mark Ford, Michael Masterson. Um, we broke off that company, uh, hooked it up in 2017 with Agora Financial. Um, you know, went up to Baltimore, met Joe Schrieffer, met everybody in uh, that space. Um, we hit it off extraordinarily well. We launched a business there. And so I studied under David Deutsch. I studied under Addison Wigan, uh, studied under Joe Schrieffer. And so I was getting feedback and mentorship from all of them, including Mark Ford on my first uh, long-form direct response package. And then we launched in November. And two weeks after we launched, Mark Ford, who we built the business around, said, I'm going to retire again for like his seventh time. Um, and I was like, oh, well, that was a lot of work and a lot of moving around. Because at the time, I was commuting between uh, New York, where I was living uh, with my ex-wife, 
in Baltimore. Uh, doing that every single week. Uh, that was tough. And so in January of 2018, you know, two things happened. One, I was basically winding down the domestic side of that business, but I was still managing the international side. That's an important thing for later. Um, and then all the fine folks at Agora Financial were just like, you seem like a pretty decent copywriter. Do you want to just keep writing for us? So I was like, sure. And so I did. And then in 2019, I had my first million dollar launch. Um, and then I had a couple more after that. I was doing a lot of webinar copy, but then I wrote a few very successful backends under the tutelage of one Evaldo Albuquerque. And uh, that was definitely my most successful promo to date. So I think Evaldo gets 80% of the credit there. Um, and then, you know, around the same time, the business that I was managing internationally, you know, basically I started writing just content and copy for international affiliates, uh, especially one in Japan, uh, a business there that we had partnered with uh, under the Mark Ford brand. And they kept asking me for content and I kept providing it and they kept asking for copy and I kept providing it. They translated into Japanese and that business grew to, oh, I want to say 10 million to 20 million, somewhere in there. Um, and then around 2020, like that business was so lucrative and making so much money that it just made sense for me to work for them most of the time. And since then, I've been doing that for the most part, managing that business, writing for that business. And um, every now and again, I'll take a freelance gig. Um, you know, I've written for Rob Booker. I, you know, I've tried writing for International Living and stuff like that. I'll just take a freelance gig just to stay fresh, just to keep my hand in the game of long form direct response copy. But I'm still writing it. It's just, you know, going to international markets at the moment. Okay, you covered a, a lot of ground. Um, I'll, I want for my first question is: You said you're homeless, uh, like seriously homeless, like living on the streets, homeless, or were you talking no, about like I just didn't have a place and on couches and living on a cot in my grandmother's office from about the age of seventeen to twenty-one, like in that space. It was just bouncing around a lot of different places, and a lot of that was just. Um, like I wasn't like destitute, like addicted to crack cocaine, like, sure. oh, God, help me. No, I, I, you know, just didn't have a whole lot of money and wasn't very interested in trying to get a place to rent. And so, you know, like, yeah, there was some dumpster diving, but I was never like destitute, destitute. And in fact, a lot of the money that I was trying to save, I ended up using that to go live in Paris for six months. I, you know, toured around Europe. You know, I was like the bougie version of homeless, not okay. like, you know. I had to pay to have all my teeth replaced homeless. Sure. So how, how does that, um, you know, that bouncing around, you know, from place to place, how does that impact like what, what you do today? Like, does th did that give you a skill set that, you know, maybe makes you uh, able to see things that other people can't see or like, how does that play in your life today? Well, I think the simplest answer to that is the fact that in this business, as you both surely know, it's very uncertain and you have to be so comfortable with, a lack of knowledge, uh, the sort of, you know, firm belief that what you're doing is right, even though, theoretically speaking, um, you don't know if things are going to work out. You know, every single piece of copy you put out into the world is a roll of the dice, certainly a skewed one, depending on how good you are. But one thing that I experienced at a very young age, up until my mid-20s, was just constant, unending uncertainty. And... I got really comfortable with being able to do things confidently, but still not really knowing what the outcome would be. I feel like uncertainty is a really good theme for 2023. And as we go into 2024, I know so many copywriters who listen to the show are feeling uncertain about what it means to be a copywriter uh, today and in the future. And so if, you know, sounds like you're really good at dealing with uncertainty. So I guess my question is just like, how would you as a copywriter and how would you recommend other copywriters kind of deal with this odd time for many of us as AI is rapidly evolving and as the economy is uh, feeling very tight and tricky? Um, how do you think about day to day? What should I focus on? How do I grow and build? Well, I mean, that's, uh, I think the answer to your question is sort of encapsulated and subsumed inside of your question which is the best way to overcome a lot of the uncertainties that people are currently facing is to learn and to grow. A lot of people that are worried about AI 
are the people that are sort of in this muck and mire, this highly competitive, you know, area of copywriting where they're dealing with a lot of people where the, what they're producing is essentially commodified. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that if your job is to churn out PPC ads, for example, AI is going to beat you every single time. Like there's nothing you can do to do better than AI at those iterative, hey, let's test 50,000 angles on this thing kinds of tasks. You know, if you are working in a commodified market, you're going to earn commodified prices if you can get a job at all. And so how do you work around that? Well, you can reposition yourself as being the person like at the helm of AI, like doing that for businesses. So you become less of a copywriter and more of a, you know, AI interface consultant, you know, and what you do in your own copy for yourself is uh, emphasize the fact that you're able to test things faster and better than any other copywriter in history, because that's true. Um, but the other way that you could go with that certainly is through upskilling and focusing on the types of copy that AI can't and probably will never be able to do, at least in our lifetimes. Um, and that's the, you know, the kind of copy and the kind of strategic thinking that, you know, you'll often find in like a long form direct response package, something that takes a more indirect approach um, you know, ideation that's very timely. You know, for example, ChatGPT is backwards looking. All AI is backwards looking. You know, it's trained on past data and that informs what stochastically it's going to deliver in terms of word salad that you see. And so what's interesting about that is that it cannot, like actually cannot give you any insights or understanding about the present moment ever. Like ever, it just it just cannot because all of its training data is weighted on the past. And so that gives you an advantage if you are, for example, you know, em really emphasizing the fact that your copy and your content is based on what's happening now, what's happening in this moment. Um, that could be anything from like brand new studies that have just come out about a concept. That could be, you know, political copy that can be financial copy that takes a political or a timely bent based on new patents, new inventions, new things. Um, you know, none of that's in the training data. And so if you can write about that kind of stuff, you can find a little chink in the armor to, you know, shove a dagger into the market. Like you'll make a ton of money. It's just a matter of the fact that like, it, you know, one, like AI is always going to be nipping at your heels. So you have to stay learning. And two, you know, writing that kind of copy is just hard. It's just harder. And so the only way to get good at that kind of stuff is to really take the time to try to grow and upskill as often as possible. And I would recommend about like 25% of your day should be devoted to learning that kind of stuff. When you say grow, I think that's, I mean, copywriters love to grow, right? I think we're all into development. Like, what are you thinking about specifically when you think about growing? How do you approach it? So here's a really good one. Um, AI tools, a lot of chatbots, they're not trained on books. So like, say, for example, you are writing health copy about, you know, what you should be eating. In all likelihood, the AI tool that you're using has not been trained on Michael Pollan's latest book about omnivorism, you know, like there are so many different spots in the world to find information and insights and ideas that are compelling, that are provocative, that are evocative, that AI just doesn't touch and can't really tap into because it doesn't understand anything. AI is actually not very intelligent in that way at all. And so what's very interesting about that is that Oftentimes, if you're sitting down to write a piece of copy, almost everything that you need for that package is in the first chapter of any book. And a couple of things there. One, you know, most copywriters, they ain't copy readers. <laughs> like, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but a lot of newbies and a lot of intermediate folks, they don't fucking read. And so you get a natural advantage over them by the sheer like just dint of 
exposing yourself to evocative and interesting new ideas that are found in books. And so that gives you an edge over competition for one, you know, two, like if you go to books or even go to just timely updated information that's just coming out on a daily basis, um, you're going to have an edge over the competition because they ain't reading it. And also too, books often provide sources to their material. So if you need to like back things up for compliance or for legal, oftentimes you can just use the book to back things up. So that makes your life easy. And then three, like if you go to books or any sort of timely updated information, Google Scholar, for example, or if you subscribe to any sort of, you know, academic journals that publish, you know, novel psych, you know, psychological or health data, um, you know, AI is not going to be able to touch that. You know, they might be able to synthesize some of the findings, but the lateral thinking that you as a copywriter are capable of, you're not going to be able to arrive, uh, rather flip that, AI is not going to be able able to arrive at the same insights that you can if you are really good at this kind of stuff. While we're talking about AI, let's keep going. Uh, you know, we connected at Copy Legends, uh, Todd Brown's event, and there was a discussion around AI, and you were talking about some of the limitations. It's something that I have been thinking about, something that uh, we've, Karen and I have chatted a little bit on our AI podcast, but um, specifically, you were talking about like what the future of products like ChatGPT is because they're so backwards focused and because they're now writing much of the content that's going to be appearing in the databases that will be added to their databases. Uh, yeah, talk, talk about that, your thoughts there about why this uh, is not the future of copywriting. Yeah, it's, well, there's a simple way to understand what I'm talking about, but it's not just like products like ChatGPT. It's every AI product because almost every AI product out in the market right now is just a wrapper around a connection to GPT-4 as managed by OpenAI. And so like, you know, you, you'll see, you know, things like a, uh, like different products that basically like will spit out a VSL for you in like 10 seconds. Um, all of that, all it's doing is like, taking your input, putting it into a series of prompts and like gated, you know, logical things, and then sending that to ChatGPT, taking the output and sending it back to you. Uh, that's called an API call. And so what's interesting about the very problem that I'm alluding to is the fact that like every single AI tool is going to suffer from the same ineluctable degradation. What the hell does that mean? Um, as, as the copywriter Kyle Milligan likes to make fun of me, he says, ineluctable degradation? You mean like indelectable Kellogg cereal? Um, yeah. Uh, so he basically, I think, put it in a way that other people, humans, can understand, which is ultimately, ChatGPT and you know AI, as they train on new data, they're making a copy of a copy of a copy because what they're spitting out into the world, it's getting published online. It's getting published and like put up onto websites. Now that that AI output is being propagated through the internet, well, now that same AI is going to be trained on the same data that's been output. So you're going to have ChatGPT and other AI tools that are going to be trained on just more and more, how should I say, uh, AI writing. And so ultimately, you run into this issue where, well, AI is just going to revert to the average, revert to what it has put out in the past, and it's going to be statistically weighted more towards what's bad about AI writing right now. And so, you know, Bill Gates even just said, like, in a recent interview or something like that, that, you know, GPT-5, it's not going to be better, like exponentially better. We're approaching an asymptote, like the curve of quality you know, it had its exponential run and now it's trailing off. It's approaching an asymptote. It's a sigmoid curve, as we math nerds like to say. And so if you're hoping you, for... You may have just lost the entire audience, uh, Sean. Uh, you know, <laughs> we're talking to writers here. So. I, I apologize. I apologize. I, I sometimes forget myself. No, just to put it simply, AI quality with the current model has hit a limit. Like... We don't know yet how far away we are from that limit, but in terms of how good AI can get, we're basically there. 
And the reason for that is because of the way AI is actually functioning and designed. And a lot of the people that are really big proponents of like AI, like how it's the future, how it's like, you know, how everything's changing. We have no idea what the world's going to look like with, you know, like you just don't understand how these things actually work. And it's not something to be particularly afraid of. It's a language calculator and mathematicians are not afraid of calculators. Yeah, it just seems like the company, like when you say it that way, it all makes logical sense to me. And it's it feels like a victory for writers, right? It's like, we win in the end. This is great. Uh, but the companies are incentivized to continue to develop these models and improve these models. So um, like, I don't know what they're doing to avoid this issue, but I'm sure they're aware of this issue. Do you, have you read anything about what they're doing to avoid this type of degradation um, so that their tools become obsolete eventually. So uh, I can give you a simple formula for actually generating good sales copy. And I'm sure there's some company out there that's working on this. What you do is you train your own large language model on the basics. And what you do then is you sort of segment it and you train the language model on, say, only Facebook ads. So you have a model, a GPT-4, that's just for Facebook ads. And, you know, that takes a huge amount of Facebook ads, a huge amount of data. And then you do that for headlines. Then you do that for leads. Then you do that for proof sections. And eventually, if you train enough of these models, you can get them good enough to be able to produce, I would say, C, C minus level copy. Now, all of that would require millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars and so much data and so much server space. Um, you know, that's the reason why most of the AI tools that are out there in the world right now are just, again, wrappers around GPT. Like, you know, nobody's actually taking the time and putting the investment into actually creating a model that's just for copy. Now, OpenAI, like, just look at what they had to do to get to where they are now. 10 years, billions of dollars of investment just to get us to like, oh, it can kind of produce okay writing. And again, like that's not millions of dollars. That's billions of dollars that they had to invest to get there. And so, you know, who out there in the copywriting or advertising world is going to sit there and invest millions, if not billions of dollars to create something that is just going to produce advertising copy? I'm sure it'll happen eventually. I'm sure costs will come down. But that's not going to happen anytime soon, just because, again, there's that huge gate of financial need between us here and that point. Now, in terms of the degradation, that's just a function of the model that AIs use. So, for example, they all right now are based on the uh, Google Transformer architecture. The, the architecture you know, that's just a, it's fixed. Like it's gotten us to this point and now to go further, we might need a different architecture. And I don't know what that's going to look like. They're certainly working on it, but I haven't seen any papers come out. I haven't seen any data come out that, that shows that, yeah, we're overcoming some of the problems that people are sort of talking about. Sorry, that was a very technical answer to, I, I think, a very like rational concern. But I, but I think it's good. And as you talk about it, it actually reminds me, you know, going back to good old Eugene Schwartz, you know, market sophistication and, and stages of awareness. If we're always backward looking with the data that an AI model has to work with, it becomes really difficult for it to understand changes in market sophistication as markets mature or as new products come online. And so that's a really good place for a copywriter to live and to really build a skill set in is understanding how do you move from, you know, one level of sophistication to the next level and what are the appropriate copywriting, persuasion, design, whatever tactics that get people to respond and, and you know, do some of the things that will help them in their lives. I agree with that 100%. If it's one thing that I've found it's that a lot of companies right now, especially small businesses, are, um, am I allowed to swear a lot on this? If no? you want to swear, we can, we can always bleep it out. <laughs> yeah, but most, most companies right now are chicken shit. Like, 
they like just look at the recent Black Friday that just happened. Like how many how many emails did you get over the last week that was just like, hurry up now. Time's running out. Get your deal in 50 percent off. Like there's nobody out there that's really pushing the bounds of like what copy can do and how it can inspire and instruct and like touch people emotionally. There's nobody really doing that at these you know large corporate levels. And a lot of small businesses like are looking at large corporations and saying, we want to be like that. And that is how they're getting terrible copy that can be commodified. And so I think it's incumbent upon copywriters to learn not only more indirect approaches, you know, the types of copy that can really inspire, get under people's skin, that can like sit with people for a long time. Um and like, you know, of course, like learn the commodified copy, you know, like, hey, 50% deal ending soon, yada, yada. Um, if you can write that well, you know, <laughs> fine, great. But it's the more indirect, the more the copy that would be more appealing to a more unaware, unsophisticated audience, like, or even a sophisticated audience. Like once you start learning how to write that kind of copy, you know, ChatGPT can't come for your job because ultimately ChatGPT can't think of novel, unique ways of approaching a problem or an idea. I mean, again, it's based on training data. It can literally only know what has come before. And so a good copywriter can come up with new angles and new avenues of approach that have never been tried. But a lot of companies right now just really, they aren't interested in doing that. And I think that that's more of an opportunity than a threat because, you know, guess what? We are barreling towards a recession and a lot of the people that don't find a way to carve out an edge for themselves, whether they're a copywriter or a small business, um, they're going to face the consequences of that. I was just going to say that you're giving me some hope and this feels really uplifting. And then you and then you just stomped all over it with the talks of recession. So you killed my hope. But it was sounding positive for a while because I do have a lot, you know, plenty of Black Friday emails in my inbox, as we all do. And you're right, the copy for most of them is garbage outside of the copywriting space because we know how to write email. But there is an opportunity. I could reach out to every single business that sent me one of those commoditized emails, and that's a potential client, right, if you can make that argument and build a case for it. So that feels uplifting for many of us. But you mentioned recession and how we need an edge. So can you talk a little bit more about that, especially with your insights into the marketplace, like we feel it coming, but how do we prepare for it? How would you prepare for it? Um, you know, the best thing that a person can do to prepare for a recession is to just go and find the copy that was working really well in 2008 and 2009 and even 2010. You know, the classic one that everybody talks about is um, End of America, written by uh, Mike Palmer uh, for the company Stansbury and Associates. That letter, you know, it's what, like 60 pages long. It's it's really just about articulating and arguing a particular idea. This thing is going to cause these problems. And also, by the way, you can buy a newsletter about this. Like that. that's it. That's the whole letter. And people look at that and they say, oh, well, this is this sold the most. It's the best front end letter of all time. We need to write like this. No, like every Every recession is different because it causes and spurs different and novel anxieties. One of the things that a copywriter can do, especially a financial copywriter, but every copywriter, is to just have their finger on the pulse of people and understand their anxieties in that particular recession or that particular downturn or that particular moment. Because if you look back at 2008, you know what were the anxieties? It was... You know, people's retirement funds were essentially obliterated in a single month. Um, the housing market was basically wrecked. You know, people bought houses at crazy uh, high mortgage rates and then like at crazy high valuations. And then they lost the value of that house. So it just was impossible to refinance because they were just underwater on all these loans. You know, you look at the anxieties and the anger that people felt towards Wall Street at that time. And so you can take all that and sort of be like, huh, well, what are people worried about now? Again, how housing prices are 
basically the highest that they've ever been. So what, what are people's anxieties? Well, a housing market crash, basically losing a lot of the value that they've built up, the wealth that they've built up in their home. For the vast majority of Americans, that's where the wealth is. You know, that's your retirement plan. Like that's where the money is going to come from because that's the equity that you're building up over the most of your life. And so you can also look at things like, well, right now, social security is basically going to be out, like done within the next 10 years. And so they're talking about having reduced benefits for younger generations. So, you know, this recession, like it's incumbent upon people to start making money now. Uh, other anxieties would include uh, things like, for example, the decline of the dollar relative to like, you know, bricks and like the rise of China and things like that. And that's something that's new. That's something that people weren't really talking about 15 years ago because there was no reason to worry about something like that. And so now all of a sudden you do have a number of people that are very anxious about the value of their dollar. And with the recent spate of inflation, they have a good reason to worry about the value of their dollars because it, it lost a lot of value. And anybody who's going to the grocery store right now feels that. And everything that I just said, by the way, is literally you just rewrite everything that I just said in a piece of copy and it would probably work really well because it's what people are feeling. And that's something that copywriters should keep in mind as they go into this recession. They could really recession-proof their copy by paying attention to the pain points and the fears and the anxieties that people are feeling in this moment. And as distinct from past recessions and past downturns and past anxieties. So I like how you're addressing, you know, how we can talk about it in the copy that we write. Let's let's take a minute and just think through, like, also some of the things we can do in our own businesses. Uh, you know, I think a, a lot of people may have felt like there's been a recession over the last year in some copywriting uh, niches and We've definitely seen people feel that. And I think oftentimes the response is, well, I'll go get a job or I'll go to get a part-time job and that will help insulate it. The problem with that and in a recession, of course, is the companies start to lay people off. And now you've, you know, you've put a lot of eggs into a basket that's no longer going to help you. So uh, I'm not necessarily saying people shouldn't do that if that's the right thing for their family. But let's talk about what we can do in our businesses, even if it's a side hustle. Um, just, you know, a couple of ideas of things that we can be doing to protect ourselves so that when it happens, we've got those clients that are not necessarily going to tighten their belts the same way that others might. Well, I mean, a few ideas come immediately to mind. So for example, there's certainly ample opportunities to sell like the basic essentials. You know, you can, you know, while you're writing copy for your clients, also start your own business teaching people, for example, I'm just throwing out ideas you know, how to prep for, you know, a nuclear war or something like that. You can sell information. Um, I know one copywriter, I think Nick Usborne is his name, um, if you guys are familiar with him, but he him, has yeah. a website called Coffee Detective. He just, he just sells affiliate coffee. And that thing's been making him money for like 10 years or something like that. Just learning how to take your copywriting skills and apply it to things that don't really ever go away that's going to make you enough money. Not only could it grow to be a business by itself that you are in charge of, but it could also just be a good source of passive income. And in fact, you know, affiliate marketing is a great way to do that because guess what? Even during a recession, people still need toiletries. People are still like thinking about like where to get food. People are still thinking about shelter. People are still thinking about their pain points. Um, and in fact, some of the, you know, best-selling financial packages also came out in that 2008 to 2011 era when everybody was very anxious. So I think that what people need to do to sort of protect their job and protect their income is really think about like the kinds of things that they can do that they're interested in, that other people are passionate about, that you know doesn't really go away during a recession. Now, on the topic of like getting a part-time job while they're also doing copywriting, I'm actually a big proponent of that. I'm a big fan of that, especially if you're not like super established in your career at this point, because the last thing that you want when you're sitting down to write is worry about where your food is going to come from or worrying about who's going to take care of your kids. Like you want to have just a baseline, just a bare bones baseline of stability there before like you start worrying about this other thing that can make you much more money. 
And so what I would encourage people to do, especially if they're just learning or like they're, they're that like newbie to beginner stage where they're still trying to like figure out the whole client and prospecting process is really like, you know, don't feel bad about getting a part time or full time job, you know, having a nine to five and then writing copy from five to nine, because one, you can still make a hell of a career doing that. And two, it alleviates, it destroys and dismantles the affective filter that you build up from your anxieties and your nervousness about money, which guess what will help you become a better copywriter faster. Is there a different way or a better way we can talk to prospects and clients during this time too, you know, to position us as a value add, maybe in a different way than we would out of a recession time? Yeah, absolutely. So like, here's a very simple thing that I've been telling people in the financial space, Uh, you know, this, you know, your mileage may vary, you know, for like e-com businesses or coaches or things like that. But, um, one of the things that happened in the financial space over the last 15 years was that people were making all the money writing what's called bearish copy. That is copy that's really fear-based, you know, worried about a downturn where the the main onus is how to protect your wealth rather than grow it. And then, you know, the longest bull market in human history happened. Maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but a very long bull market happened. And then over the course of 12 years, all the people that were really good at writing bearish copy either were fired were replaced, you know, forgot how, or like just retired. Like they just stopped writing copy. And so we got to this point, this interesting point in 2022 where the market had a very severe downturn and nobody was equipped, like, like had the ability to write a bearish promotion. And if you, you know, if any of you are familiar with like Agora and the Agora companies, you know, if you look at the copy that came out in 2022, it was so dissonant and so unconnected with what was actually happening in the market. Like people, people had one gear, how to make 10,000% off of Bitcoin, how to make 20,000% in 38 minutes with like options trading. Like people were still just spamming out those kinds of offers, but there was only one business, only one name that was actually generating actually any money for the entirety of 2022. And that was Jim Rickards, the guy who basically has been saying the whole market's going to crash for like 50 years. And so, you know, the only the people that really wrote for him and wrote offers for him actually made any money, you know, over the last year or two, whereas everybody else were just stuck in this miasma where like they just couldn't conceive of how to approach their messaging differently, how to change the messaging to be appealing to people who now are afraid and not greedy. And, you know, a lot of copywriters lost their job over the last year and a half because they couldn't make that shift. And so if you're selling, for example, you know, dog treats, like if you're a dog treat copywriter, if you are just like you wake up every morning and you are just sweaty and naked and just desiring of writing dog treat copy. Well, an easy thing that you can do to sell yourself to dog treat making companies is to talk about, well, how they can actually continue to make good money even during an economic downturn. And so, like, for example, pets and pet owners, they still need treats. They, you know, you still need to take care of your pet. People with pets are not going to not spend on dog treats, dog toys, dog dog food. It's just an expense that is baked into the like people's ordinary lives. And so you can certainly work that into your messaging in a way that, you know, allows you to feel like, like you said, Kira, a value add to a business that sells dog treats because a lot of other copywriters are not going to be thinking about the business that they're pitching themselves to. In fact, that's a common mistake that a lot of people make. They don't think about what the business needs from them. And so if I'm sure there's a lot from my little spiel just there that people can pull from and sort of tease out uh, that would be beneficial to them. But just being thoughtful about, you know, almost like a copywriter, what a business needs from you and being cognizant of that. And that's going to allow you to position yourself, I think, in a very positive way for businesses that themselves are anxious about a recession. Yeah, there's something about the agility part of it that I mean, it's interesting 
that so many of the financial writers were let go or just left because they weren't able to make that shift. Where do you see that coming from? Is Do you think that we most of us just kind of get in a rut where we write a certain way? I know I do, and I have to catch myself. I'm like, don't do that again. Try something new. Um, is there anything that has helped you be more agile in your own writing so that you could make the shift? Yeah. So for me, for example, in 2022, you know, the company that I write for, um, you know, I, I even had dinner and I met with Bill Bonner and I said something along the lines of like, you know, just happy that the business that I I've been running was actually able to turn a profit in 2022 and Bill in his sort of demure, very polite way said, actually, I think your business is the only one in the Agora family that turned a profit that year. And that was just because like I saw the writing on the wall, like in late 2021 and saw "Eh, 2022 is going to be a little tough. And so I changed my messaging early. And for that reason, we were able to actually sell very, very well through 2022, despite the downturn. Um, and the fact that like all the products that I manage and write for are also basically recession proof, like, you know, large cap, blue chip stocks, uh, the things that I write about are just like, hey, you know, buy the dip and buy quality and you should be fine in the long run. And it turns out like that messaging worked really, really well once people were just like getting completely thrashed by growth stocks and options trading and things like that. Um, all that's extremely technical. I apologize. But, you know, just like at the product level and at the messaging level, like we were golden before the downturn even started. And so I didn't have to be super agile because we were already prepared for it. I would love to talk, Sean, about how to break into financial copywriting today. Uh, you know, we've we've addressed it in the past once or twice on the podcast, but with the shifts in the market, maybe people should be doing something different Let's say that, you know, I've never written in the financial space before, but I want to. What should I be doing now to make that possible, say, in 2024? Good Lord. So this is one of those um, questions where it's like how to win a war. Where it's like there's not really a right answer. (laughs) You know, there's it it never comes down to just one thing. And so uh, all I can really give is some basic things that seem to work reasonably well for a lot of people. Um, one of those things very simply is every now and again, not regularly, but every now and again, the large, you know, financial publishing companies will have boot camps, like, you know, intensives, will have training sessions and training camps where they invite between like six to 20, you know, prospective copywriters to come to Baltimore or to come to Florida and just learn. Just train with the best and you're expected to write a lot. You're expected to read a lot. You basically have to like dump your life and go there. And so if you ever get a chance to do that, do that. Leave your kids, leave your wife, go to Baltimore, learn how to write financial copy. Easy, right? So if you don't want to do that, (laughs) one of the difficulties that you're going to have you know, if you want to work remote, for example, is the fact that like a lot of these companies... You know, they have a very specific work culture. They have a very, you know, it's like financial copy, you know, compliance is different. The way one writes is different. The way ideas are formed is different. Um, It's just a completely different culture. And if you're not there in the office, you don't really get exposed to it very easily. So a lot of people have trouble if they're working remote. Um, So if you aren't, you know, willing to bend on like abandoning your family to go to one of these boot camps. If you're not willing to bend on like, you know, I have to work remote, your chances of being a financial copywriter go down precipitously. And that's just a fact, unfortunately. So with that small sliver of like opportunity and chance that you have remaining, what can you do? Well, here's what you can do. Read financial copy, financial promos every single day. Read one promo per day, like annotate it, like really understand it, stay on top of the market, read financial news, like really, really, really work on your idea glands, like really develop your sense of like, like what is it that's enticing people? What is it that's working? What is it that people are afraid of? What is it that people are excited about? What is it that that interests people? And it takes time to really develop those glands in your brain. And 
you have to read a lot of promos. I would say at least a hundred before you start to say like, okay, I have a general sense of like how to, how this is marketed, how these companies make their money. And then what you can do is you write a spec lead and a spec lead very simply is you have a headline complex, you know, you eyebrow copy, headline deck copy, you know, teasing an opportunity. Then you have a lead where you basically are spelling out, you know, what's in it for the reader. You know, you have an exciting pattern interrupt. You are basically spelling out the thesis of the argument, the sales argument that you're making. And then you send that to a publisher and you go, Hey, listen, I've studied your business. I've studied your products. I've noticed that this product, like, you know, the copy maybe could be improved. And so I wrote a spec lead and Hey, if you want to hire me to finish this promo, I will. And if not, no problem. Cause here's the thing. If you, if they say we are not interested in paying you to finish this promo, guess what? you now have something in your portfolio to show to people. Cool. And if it works, hey, you just literally did most of the work that you would need to do to write, write and finish that promo anyway. In order to write the lead, you have to do a ton of research. And so the rest of that should be relatively simple. And that's a very good way to get your foot in the door, get the attention of people who, like the people at the top of financial publishing companies tend to be very, how should I say, libertarian, very like pull yourself up by your bootstraps, very like, you know, meritocratic, I think is a word that I could use. And so anybody who does that really kind of proves themselves as being worth talking to because they actually went the extra mile to understand the business, to, you know, pitch an idea, to actually go ahead and write it, and then to share it with the publisher being like, here you go, gratis, do you want me to finish this? Uh, a lot of publishers respond to that very well, and I've known a lot of people who have actually gotten jobs that way. That's how it starts. And usually what happens is they, like, if you write a successful promo for them, they'll either bring you in for an interview or, like, ask you to fly to, you know, Baltimore or Del Rey or wherever the company is and just sit and meet with you and see what else you can do together in the future. And that's how a ton of people have gotten jobs, both freelance and in-house. I love that. I want to ask just a quick follow-up. You know, when we say read a promo every single day, um, I'm guessing you mean more than just read it. We were talking, you know, about thinking strategically earlier. How do you read a promo so that you understand what's really going on as you dissect it? So, you know, I have a, a YouTube channel called Copy That that I started with a few friends and business partners of mine. And, you know, we really are going after like true beginners, like people who are like, what is even copies? Um, you know, the, that's the people that I'm trying to speak to, to try to get them into this world without having to like charge them an arm and a leg. One of the earliest videos that we have on that channel is one where I just explain the process that I undertake to dissect and pull apart um, financial promos and any sort of long form copy in general. And really you want to go ahead and like understand the structure yeah, and like what each section is doing and like how it functions in the context of the larger sales argument. You want to understand, you know, the angle that it's taking, you know, so what you know, I'm sure some people are listening and being like, what is an angle? What what is this guy even talking about? He uses so many big words. I hate him. Um, and he's so bald. No. So an angle is really like a, a lead can try to appeal to people's greed or can try to, you know, scare people away from their fear. It can, you know, try to emphasize like how this will make you a handsome person or it can, you know, emphasize how it's going to like affect your health. Like the angle of approach is going to be just the, the appeals that you use in the beginning of a piece of copy. You want to understand what that angle is. And, um, you want to understand the structure. I said, uh, you want to understand what kind of lead is being used and, you know, refer to the book, great leads. If you want a good primer on that, um, you want to understand what's going on in the proof, like what kind of proof is it using to actually make its points? Like, how is it like proving the actual argument is true? The argument usually being to get this result, you need to buy this product. You need to have some basis of proof for that, though. A lot of amateurs think that you can just say, well, this product is the best at doing this and that's enough. So don't be that person. Um, Another thing, too, is you want to look at the offer and find out, like, you know, specifically, what is the bonus set? What is the stack? Like, what is it doing in the offer to make it feel sensational or irresistible or cheap uh, relative to whatever it is? 
And if possible, you want to understand from the ad, like in context, in the world out there, what is it doing to try to present this opportunity as novel or unique or bigger than anything else? You know, any piece of copy that exists in the world has to make the product feel differentiated in some way. You know, we nerds call it a USP or a unique selling proposition. And so what you want to do when you analyze a piece of copy, not only going line by line and pulling about like, you know, what is this saying? What is this section doing? Et cetera, et cetera. But you also want to understand like, how is it presenting this argument in a way that actually does feel new or fresh or provocative or interesting, uh, especially to the target demographic? All right. I know we're running out of time and I want to ask you about some of the the mentors that you mentioned. I mean, you had a laundry list of top copywriters, A-listers that you've worked with. and Yeah, they're from. all disappointed with me. They're all disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so That's awesome. <laughs> I, I'm not going to run through all their names, but I'm curious like, if there is a takeaway you could share from one specific mentor or if you just kind of want to like Share a takeaway from their collective wisdom. We'll take anything you've got. I, I want one from all of them. I want one from Mark Ford and <laughs> Joe Schrieffer. And, you've only yeah, got a couple all, minutes. Let's, let's go through the list. All right. So, so from Mark, uh, this is the first piece of advice I ever got from Mark Ford, a.k.a. Michael Masterson. Wrote some copy, and his only comment was, this copy sounds like copy. Fucking stop that. And what that means is that a lot of new people, you know, they're sort of adopting the the wig of sales talk and everybody knows what sales talk sounds like it's you know just imagine like going and buying a used car and it's clearly a piece of crap but the salesman is just talking it up so much like you can just smell the rhetoric that they're using and you don't want your copy to sound like that so remove the wig and learn how to actually articulate a good sales message that feels organic natural like good writing that a human meat person would use in everyday language. Um, Joe Schrieffer, I think the best piece of advice that I can pull from him is what he called the daily practice. Kyle Milligan talks about this a lot too, which is every single day, if you want to get better, you need to read and analyze a piece of copy per day. You need to write at least one page of copy per day. And, you know, it doesn't matter if it's like a whole thing or part of a thing. It just has to be at least one page. So 250 to 300 words of copy. Then write down an idea per day. And ideas per day is like where people get like stuck on the most. And over the course of this podcast interview, I've sort of alluded to different ideas and where to get different ideas. So like, for example, if you're reading The Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan, like you might come up with an idea like, huh, wouldn't it be really cool to talk about in a sales letter, uh, a diet plan for losing weight that doesn't involve keto, that doesn't involve like paleo, that doesn't involve restricting yourself from carbs. Like how cool would it be to get something like that? There you go. There you have an idea. You've read a thing and then you formulate an idea that you can use in copy to actually present a product or pitch an entire methodology. Bingo, bango. That's an idea. Um, so that's Joe Schrieffer, daily practice. Um, from David Deutsch, I think the best nugget of, of advice I got from him was, well, I'm going to give two. One was sort of like what Mark was implying. You want to talk to your prospects as though they were your friend. You want to reach out to people and speak to them in such a way that they feel comforted. Like you actually care about them. Like a lot of copy, especially very commodified copy is it, it really, it just stinks of like people trying to extract as much money from the prospect as possible. And if you don't write that way, they're going to trust you more. And counterintuitively, if people trust you more, they'll give you more money, even though you're not like going for the throat and of asking more money, asking for more money. Um, another thing that he gave to me that I think was very good advice was that every single sales letter should teach somebody something about the world or about the notions that they have or about the things that they identify with. A good piece of long form copy, especially, should give somebody something that they could talk about at dinner parties or that they can share with their family, like some fact or way of looking at the world 
that inspires them or makes them feel smarter. Like if you can do that, oh man, like your job is secure and like you are just a great writer. Um, And people are going to buy your stuff because your copy makes them feel good. And if your copy makes them feel good, then surely the product will too. So that's another thing. Um, Who else? From Addison, he, he was really affronted by cliches. And what I mean by that is if you're writing and you're just pandering to people, like, for example, if you're selling, like, you know, prepping informational content or, like, you know, any guns or, or gun accessories or any sort of, like, you know, things that you would use, like, in a sort of survival context, um, the simplest, like, sort of crow magnon way to approach that kind of copy is to just appeal to people's base instincts, like, oh, you know, Biden with the help of like clone Obama is going to come for your guns and like, ah, with this stuff um, that works, but it doesn't work as well as copy that tries to avoid pandering copy that takes a less cliche approach to these more sensitive topics. Um, you know, it's much more powerful and tends to ha- bring a better qualified customer. If you're able to say things like, listen, you know, we don't know if this is going to happen, but isn't it better to be prepared? Things of that nature, like rhetorical twists that sort of go against the grain of cliche. Um, that tends to work very, very well. Um, and I got that from Addison. Um, I'm trying to think, who else? Uh, Bill Bonner. Let's do one more. Bill Bonner. Oh, um, Bill Bonner was really just all about... Uh, like ideas and I'm I'm trying to like, um, there's like one letter that I wrote and it was reviewed by both Mark Ford and Bill Bonner. And the idea that I had, um, basically Mark was just like, no, this is stupid. And Bill was like, and this is literally what he said, the email. Oh, contraire. It's actually very interesting. It presents an interesting argument about the world. And, you know, Kira Rubb, I'm sure if you remember from copy legends, like, you know, I was talking about how people don't really know what an idea in copy actually is. And most people, when they talk about ideas, like, you know, it's like the color red to me, my color red is different from your color red. Everybody has a different sense of what an idea in copy is or should be. Um, but for Bill Bonner, it was really about creating and crafting an emotionally compelling argument about the world. Like this problem is being caused by this. And here's why. This thing is going to happen and it's going to be bad for these reasons. So Bill was really all about the idea and creating an evocative idea in copy. Now, listen, if you're selling, I don't know, GPS dog leashes, you don't need an idea in your copy. You just need to be able to articulate like what it's good for and run from there. But if you're selling information, especially coaching, newsletters, magazines, things like that. Ideas tend to work very well, especially in areas of uncertainty. So Bill was all about the idea and encouraging that. I wish we had time to go deeper on ideas. Maybe we'll we'll have you come back. We can do an entire training or a podcast or something just on ideas. That's something that uh, is certainly worth thinking about and, and working on. Um, doing. Um, one last question for you, Sean, and it's just what's next? What's next for you and what are you looking forward to in the coming months? Um, well, in Japan, we are launching a new division of our business, um, which is entirely focused on entrepreneurship. It's a sort of like part two to Mark Ford's book, Ready, Fire, Aim. Um, I think I'm going to launch that domestically as well, but um, you know, I had to completely build the infrastructure for that business up from scratch. So you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see how far it goes. If it's profitable, we'll just keep spamming out offers and, you know, seeing what happens. That's interesting. Yeah, that's it, kind of what Mark has built his entire career on, at least the last 20 years or so. So it'd be interesting to see what you do there. Yeah, it's, I mean, listen, business is easy once you let go of the fact that it needs to work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that hits home. Uh, that's yeah, that's a piece I haven't figured out. That's helpful. Yeah. 
Um, and it sounds like you might be hiring, right? So copywriters looking for jobs should reach out to you as you expand. Um, maybe, but, but not in the typical way. Obviously, Sean just spelled out if you want if you want to get on the radar, how to do it. Yeah, I actually so for real with um, my copywriting community through Copy That, I actually did just hire a copywriter and I gave him ten thousand dollars to write a launch promo for one of the products that we're hoping to to launch. So like there there are opportunities and. Certainly what you can do, whether it's my community or some other community, is just ingratiate yourself with the higher ups, the powers that be, and just generally don't seem like a schmuck. And opportunities will tend to kind of fall from the sky. And if your mouth is open, you might catch one. So I'll pitch you tomorrow, Sean. Look out for that in your inbox. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Sean, if somebody wants to connect with you, where should they go? Uh, YouTube.com slash copy that is a really good place to start. Um but really, I'm just kind of all over the place. Uh, you know, catch me wherever, and uh, hopefully I'll see you around. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Sean. This was awesome. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And that's the end of our interview with Sean McIntyre. I want to add just a couple of thoughts to the conversation we had with Sean, just to give you a little bit more to think about and maybe some ways to apply the ideas that Sean and Kira and I were talking about. So when we're talking about this idea of daily practice that Sean shared as he was uh, talking about his mentors, uh, we, we oftentimes hear that copywriters should spend time handwriting sales pages because that helps get the language into our brains and it helps develop the, you know, the copywriting thing. But reading sales pages and even handwriting sales pages is not enough. You need to go deeper. You need to be looking for what makes a sales page effective. And so just some thoughts as you're looking at copy, as you're reading copy every single day, ask yourself, who's the audience? What's the big idea? How is the writer creating intrigue or curiosity with the headline? How would you characterize the hook? What's the theme or argument of the page? How does the writer establish the authority of the brand or the person behind the offer? And speaking of offers, how is this one structured? It's more than the product for sale. It includes the price, the guarantee, the terms. Is there a trial? Are there bonuses? Are there purchase plans? How does the writer overcome objections? How do they prove their claims? How do they dimensionalize the benefits? What would you do differently to make it better? That's maybe the, the most important question to ask as you go through the copy. What would I do differently to make it better, to make it more convincing, to make it more powerful, to make the idea bigger, to overcome more objections or to do it better? And this isn't just applicable to sales pages. You can do it with home pages or about pages. You can do it with case studies or white papers. You can do it with blog posts and emails. You should be reading some copy every day and come up with a new idea every day. That daily practice will set you apart from 98% of the copywriters out there. As we were talking about copy boot camps, it just struck me that maybe it's worth talking about why they work. Yes, you learn copywriting, but the most important part of the boot camp is the connections with the people who are actually running the boot camp. They see your work, they see your effort, they see your talent, and that counts. And if you can't do a boot camp, and most of us can't just pick up and go to a place like Baltimore for two or three weeks to learn copywriting and interface with all of these other people that are there, but you can still get some of these things by joining a mentor's program. If you join a, a program or a membership, they see how you show up, they get to know you, they take an interest in your progress, they want to make sure that you get to the end. At least the good mentors want to help you get to the end of the program and have a successful outcome. So you can get a lot of the same impacts virtually by joining these kinds of programs, but you do have to invest in yourself and in your business in order to do that. Looking back, the very smartest thing I ever did as I was in my own business to help me grow from struggling to find clients to a six-figure business was investing in a mastermind for copywriters. Your next investment may not be that, but it should be something. And the more you invest in yourself and in your business, the better your outcomes are going to be. And then finally, I love the lessons that Sean was sharing from his mentors. I, I, at some point, well, Kira and I should do an episode where we talk about our mentors and some of the things that we've learned. But in the meantime, I want to challenge you to come up with a few lessons that you've learned from your mentors and share them on social media. Tag the Copywriter Club so that we can see them. 
And if you don't have any, find a mentor that you can learn from in the coming months. You know, get on their email list, join a program or membership with them. And, and I could even suggest the Copywriter Underground as a place to start if you don't already have this in your life, but you may have some other options or something you've been considering. There are some amazing resources in the Underground, as well as regular opportunities to connect with Kira and, and me, as well as the other copywriters in the community. You can check that out at thecopywriterclub.com forward slash TCU. But again, if that's not the right investment for you, find the one that is. Now, I want to thank Sean for joining us to chat about his experience in business. I love wide range of conversations like this. We jumped around quite a bit. Hopefully you like them too. You can connect with Sean on LinkedIn or watch some of the content that he shared on his YouTube channel. Copy that. There's some really good stuff there. And just a quick reminder, check out that Copywriter Underground at thecopywriterclub.com forward slash TCU. That's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please visit Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show and leave a review. We love to hear your thoughts about the guests, about the topics that we cover, and uh, the, the podcast as a whole. And don't miss our other podcast at AIforcreativeentrepreneurs.com. You can also watch that on YouTube, AI for Creative entrepreneurs and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and we will see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better copy and make more money.